Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sports book app. And on today's podcast, we'll be joined by the man that's making his debut in the slot formerly filled by Golik and Wingo and Mike and Mike, the former number one overall pick, Keyshawn Johnson. And then we'll have a conversation with a player who is projected to be a top pick in the next NFL draft, a player who left school early like many players are doing these days, the former Miami defensive end, Greg Rousseau. But before we get into today's podcast, first wanted to touch on a couple of news elements, one being the fact that we are getting close to football. And the fact that we're getting close to football, and there's been no sign that there won't be football, is a sign that opening night between the Chiefs and the Texans on Thursday, September 10th, is going to come off. There's going to be a football season this year. And when you speak to people around the league, coaches, front office members, they are now more convinced than ever before that there will be football in a pandemic. Just like there's basketball in the bubble down in Florida and hockey up in the bubble in Canada and baseball all around the country. The one common sentiment that I've heard from voices across the league is confidence, high confidence, that the NFL season is going to come off. Nobody knows exactly whether the league will be able to pull off a full 16-game season with playoffs and everything like that, but the football season is a go. And when people stop and ask me all the time, as they often do, will there be football this year? Oh, yeah, there, there will be football this year. There will be football, and the season will begin with the defending world champion Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans, and we will all hope and keep our fingers crossed that they will be able to pull off an entire football season. And that's something to look forward to in the weeks to come. And looking back to last week, there were a bunch of contract extensions that got done, none any more notable than the five-year, $75 million contract extension that made George Kittle the highest paid tight end in NFL history. And what's so interesting and fascinating about that contract and that situation is if we go back to the draft of 2017, I can distinctly remember the days leading up to it, talking to the, talking to the 49ers organization and hearing how much it liked a tight end from South Alabama, Gerald Everett. And then I remember talking to the Los Angeles Rams and hearing from them how much they liked a tight end from South Alabama, Gerald Everett. And I looked down in the second round and the 49ers and Rams picks were fairly close together. And I didn't say anything to either one, of course, at that point in time, but I knew that the 49ers wanted Gerald Everett and I knew that the Rams wanted Gerald Everett. And sure enough, the Rams got themselves into position, and they used their second-round draft pick in the 2017 draft on Gerald Everett, who was the tight end that the 49ers wanted and planned to take if he were available. And so once Gerald Everett was taken by the Los Angeles Rams, the 49ers had to reverse course and change directions. And in the fifth round... They wound up taking an Iowa tight end by the name of George Kittle. Now, we'll never know how it would have played out 
if Gerald Everett had made it to the 49ers turn in the second round, but I'm going to bet that the chances are they would not have gone for George Kittle in the fifth round. They went to Kittle because they liked him enough and they didn't get the tight end that they truly wanted. And the tight end they truly wanted turned out to be maybe the best tight end in all of football. Certainly one of the top two or three tight ends in football. And so it's so funny to hear all the time, and I hear it regularly, about a team wanting a certain player, not getting the guy they wanted, and having to settle for somebody else like the 49ers did back in 2017. Their settling turned out to be just okay with George Kittle. All right, before we get into today's episode, I want to remind everyone, with the much-anticipated start of the 2020 football season just around the corner, as we talked about, make sure you're staying up to date on all your fantasy football news with ESPN fantasy experts Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You'll get daily strategy, previews, and injury reports to ensure you have all the information you'll need for your fantasy football team. Be sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Focus Football and the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, our first guest of the day. Is this Keyshawn Johnson? What up, Shefty? The new host of the morning show on ESPN. That the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> so how, how do you feel about becoming a radio talk show host in the morning nationally? I know you've done it in L.A., but stepping onto an even larger stage with a larger megaphone, so to speak. I'm cool. I'm, I mean, I'm with it. You know, it, it's going to be different, obviously, Shefty. Um, you're going into some markets that, you know, are a little bit different, that are used to a certain type of voice that they've been with for however many years. But it's the same thing. I mean, I've, I've done, obviously, Countdown, NFL Countdown with you for a number of years, which is a big, huge platform. We're in a lot of households then. I've done NFL Live, obviously, and, and other things with ESPN. So, to me, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty easy, I guess. At the end of the day, I don't. I don't worry about nothing. I'm. I'm ready to get going on Monday morning, actually. When you were the number one overall pick of the New York Jets back in 1996, the number one overall pick, would you ever have envisioned becoming a sports radio fixture, so to speak? Not necessarily. <laughs> I knew I would. I knew I would probably wind up being on television, but I didn't know that it would turn into TV radio. I just yeah. didn't envision that because sports talk radio in that day and age was screaming, hollering, yelling. Uh, you know, it was the, the the guy with the big belly smoking the cigarettes and mad at the world type. That's how that's how I envisioned it. it but yeah. television people were cool, so. I was more of a TV person, but I've learned both both crafts now, both radio and TV, and so now I'm learning them together because I've never done them together. I've done them separately, but now they're together. Is there anyone on the radio who you've listened to and admired and learned from, Kate? Uh, you know, not really. I'm not not necessarily a sports talk host, yeah. but more the – calling the games you know I, i've listened to guys like musburger and, and scully and no chick hearns and those guys calling games but not radio talk show hosts now your team your new team jay williams and zuby mahete i love jay 
a former number two overall pick in his respective sport. You're a number one pick. He's a number two pick. And Zubin, who I think is one of the most underrated, professional, talented people at ESPN. I think he's great. I think he's great. We can really have some fun on August 17th. Wait, and what, what do you envision that fun looking like and sounding like? Tell me. Well, it, it's going to be way different, obviously, than Mike and Michael, uh, Trey, uh, or, or Wingo, and Golik and Wingo, because, you know, different type of music, a lot of fun, and, 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 and just, you know, challenging each other, because you got two former athletes, like you said, one was the number one overall, one was the second pick of the draft. Only reason why he was the second pick of the draft, because Yao Ming was the first. And so you got all sorts of conversations between conferences and, and just different sports. I'm a Laker fan. He seems to not like the Lakers. I don't like Duke. I mean, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. You know, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be different than anything that's ever been in a morning drive show for sports. You know what you and Jay have in common and you don't know each other very well, right? No, we don't. But you know, I, as you know, I can work with anybody. I didn't know Boomer and TJ and, and, and at all other than, you know, watching them on television. But when I came in the countdown, yeah. we hit the ground running. I didn't know any of my co-hosts out in L.A. when we first put it together and we hit the ground running for the last four years. And we've been rehearsing for, over, you know, pretty much the whole week. And so we have natural chemistry, I guess. I mean, it's just athletes, for whatever reason, can communicate immediately and differently than most. <laughs> you know, you and Jay have a lot in common, though. You're two very sharp guys who think outside the box, have a great business sense, which not everybody has. And I think there's probably a lot more in common between the two of you than a lot of people would realize. I think you guys will get along. You're different, but you have very many similarities, too, I think. Yeah, well, no, we do. We have very similarities, a very similarity, a lot of similarities, but at the same time, we are two different individuals. I have my take on things and beliefs, and he has his take on things and beliefs. But, you know, he went to Duke. I went to USC. USC essentially becomes one of the West Coast Duke universities. And, and so it's a, it's kind of like, you know, they cheat more at Duke than we do at USC. But that's okay. Um, it, it's just it's, it's going to be fun in nature. It'll be, a, it'll, be a, it'll be a lot of fun and a blast for a lot of different people that will be listening and watching. Did you get any advice from either Mike Golick or Trey Wingo or Mike Greenberg? Did anybody say anything to you about taking over the chairs that they once sat in? No, I, you know, I talked to, I talked to tech, me and Trey, we said the same agent, but, and we text back and forth and just, you know, if I need anything, he's there for me. Um, you know, but having done radio, although it's not on the national stage, I've done radio before. So it's not, I'm not walking into un chartered waters uh, so at the end of the day it's like okay i'm hitting the ground running again it's perfect for me it, it'll be fun like i said it's different it's gonna be it's gonna be different than what you're used to you had to move to the east coast leave your beloved west coast to move to the east coast yeah i moved i moved a couple weeks ago to new york city oh and uh you know we're we're gonna be looking for places here in the next several weeks and I enjoy it. You know, I've played here, so it's off. My wife is from here. I played here. So we enjoying it. It's a whole lot of fun for us. But you are such an L.A. guy. Like, L you are L.A. So it's hard for me, even though you are used to it and you know it, it's hard for me 
to envision you living here when you could be living out there. That's, that's very true. I could, I could be, but the opportunity, I couldn't pass on the opportunity. The opportunity presented itself for me to be able to take over and, and host one of the, you know, hottest, not necessarily hottest properties, but one of the most prestigious properties at ESPN. I mean, you got countdown shows, you got Monday Night Football, and then you got the morning drive time on the ESPN radio, you know, first take. So it's one of the top five properties at ESPN, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And you get to do it. Now, you mentioned working on Monday Night Countdown, and I had the pleasure and honor of working with you there, and, and Boomer and TJ and the legacy that they created and more. What did you learn from Tom Jackson, first and foremost? Because I know you spent the most time with him, more so than Boomer. But what did you learn from Tom Jackson and then, of course, Boomer? One is just preparation, being prepared. If you prepare, if you prepare yourself, then you don't have to worry about anything. You're on point. You know what you need to do. A lot of guys that are former athletes come into this profession unprepared. And when they're unprepared, it doesn't look good, and they wind up, you know, not being uh, retained or, or it doesn't work out for them. And everyone wants to know why. It's like, well, he never prepared. He didn't take it serious. He thought he could just get in there and talk shop, and that was the job, opposed to knowing your stuff. So how do you prepare for this job? Well, there's a lot of sports watching, number one. And I go to – well, I won't be able to go to events this year. But in L.A., you know, I went to a lot of sporting events. Um, but it's all about preparing, preparation, keeping up to date on the news and what's happening throughout the sports world and throughout society as a whole. Um, you know, we're not just talking football. We're not just talking basketball. We're, we're going to talk baseball to a degree. We'll talk hockey to a degree. What, what are the largest stories, you know, coming out of each city? being able to know what's going on in each city and every prospective sport, uh, whether it's college at the University of Nebraska, whether it's college in Columbus, Ohio, whether it's college at USC or Stanford, what's going on. You need to know all of those things. What is going on at USC? What the heck, Kate? Well, football-wise, we, we, we're not playing this year. Thank <laughs> God. We get a break. Um, but, you know, it's one of those situations where you can't continue from a football standpoint you can't continue to shuffle coaches in and out and expect to be successful. Uh, Clay Helton hasn't done a terrible job, but he hasn't done a USC, you know, a USC I'm used to winning all the time and being in the BCS's type job. I think if you give him time, hopefully it will come. Because a couple of years ago when he had Sam Donald at the helm, they were a pretty good football team. So you're thankful they're not playing because of how much they've struggled? Well, I, I, well, a couple of reasons I'm thankful they're not playing. I'm, because the kids, amateur athletes don't need to be playing college sports right now and getting, you know, jerked around by college commissioners and presidents and ADs when they're making money and kids ain't making a dime, but you want them to put their livelihood on the line. That, that to me, is completely wrong. And so I'm glad that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten decided to take a step back in the safety and health welfare of these kids is more important than making, you know, 60, 70 million dollars for the university. Back in the day, back in, in the mid-1990s, you were a first-team All-Pac-10. You were a unanimous All-American, a Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year, all those things like that. If you had been in this situation and you were playing today at 
LSU or another school that was poised to play this upcoming season, and you were projected to go in the draft around where you did in 1996, number one overall pick, would there be any way that you would be out there that season with this virus going on, or would you say, I'm done, I'm opting out, I'll see you in the NFL? Yeah, I'm done. I'm opting out. I'll see you in the NFL. I'll go train my – I'll sign with an agent. They'll take care of my training. We'll move somewhere and train, and I'll get ready for the April draft. There's no need – what am I playing for? Like, why would I play? Nick Bosa didn't play. So, what you think about that. Nick Bosa did not play his senior year. And with good reason, right? Hey, well, he got, he got banged up, but he never came back to risk any further injury. So, you know, why would, I, why would I play? It makes no sense. I'm not getting anything out of it except a championship. Have you conveyed that to anybody? Has anybody sought your opinion about what they should do? I, I've talked to a couple of college kids and told them, Shefty, that if I was in their shoes, I'll be getting myself ready for the NFL draft. I wouldn't worry about the amount of film that I have because the talent evaluate can evaluate talent. And – Whatever you have on tape is projecting you wherever you're supposed to be projected. They'll figure out if you're good enough for that spot or moving up or moving down. But you only can control what you can control. Why put yourself in harm's way trying to get on the field to prove a point to who? What do I need to prove a point to Nick Saban for or Ed Ogeron or Lane Kiffin or, or Mike Leach? Like, I don't need to play for them dudes or Dalbo Sweeney. You know, it's just like, they're making money off of me. I'm getting nothing out of it, but you want me to risk my health and safety. That's how it's always been with the, at the college football level. You did that for the NCAA at one point in time too, though, Key. Yeah, but it wasn't a pandemic, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't a pandemic. And on top of that, it wasn't a situation where we are now. Like today, athletes, are empowering themselves at a different level than we did when I played. Had or we united been around, I would have been a part of that. But we didn't have that. We didn't it wasn't our foresight wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Those conversations didn't necessarily start to come up severely to Ed O'Banning brought them up after his career was over at UCLA wasn't something that we thought of, but we thought it was really cool to be in a video game. But we never really thought, well, it's really cool to be in a video game, but we're not making any money out of it. That wasn't, it just, you, you didn't think of that. You thought about performing and going to the next level. What has stood out to you today about the way that athletes have empowered themselves from your perspective? It's, it's a thing of beauty to me. I love it. Um, you know, and I, to a degree, did it as a player. But I was so far ahead of the curve, it became somewhat of a little bit of an eyeball move, and it became what writers wanted it to be, journalists wanted it to be, which they set a narrative and tried to describe it as out of control, high maintenance, <laughs> wanted his way, you know, all of those diva. They, they did those sort of things. But what happened with LeBron James is he changed the whole landscape of sports when he empowered himself to go to Miami. And from there, it changed and people started doing things a different way. But players have, for many years, have empowered themselves. But the media 
and organizations try to put a little bit of a stain on that particular individual. And so you never really got the full effect of what one was doing. If I ask for a trade, that's empowering yourself. But he's selfish. He's this, he's that. Because front office people wasn't the ones pulling the strings. When front office people are not pulling the strings, they get a little mad because they're not in control. Players are in control now. This is what We Are United is talking about. Like, we're going to play. You better do these things. So I think the Big Ten and the Pac-12 realize we're not ready to get into this battle or this fight with this these group of guys. So on top of the pandemic and having to address what we're being faced with, let's just pull away so we can figure all this stuff out. And where is this all going? What do you think? What is going to be the fallout of all this? I think the Power Five conferences are going to align themselves and get cut, break away from the NC2A here in the next 24 months or so. Uh, can't do it right now, but they're going to do it at some point. And I think that the, the amateur athletes are going to get what they want to get because you can't play without them. So you got you to gotta work with them. Now you got people in the Senate, you know, putting proposals together so people can make money. So does that mean that athletes are going to wind up getting paid in your mind? I think so. And how, how could they not? I, I, well, listen, I, I've always felt like they should be paid. They produce so much revenue for the schools that it's, to me, borderline criminal that they're not paid. They're, they're having money taken out of their pockets. Yeah, but if I'm wearing Nike shoes and uh, cleats on my feet and I ain't, I'm not getting a dime, it's all going to the university, why should, I be, why should I be forced to wear that? Why should I endorse a product that ain't giving me any money? Correct. So how far away do you think we are from athletes actually getting paid? I would probably say 2021, you know, no later than spring of 2022. That's going to be interesting. That'll be interesting. And that will be how it should be done and how it should have been done for a while now. And I, how, how would it look how, in your mind? Again, you've got a great business sense. What would be the model in your mind of how this would look and play out? Key? Well, I would say I'm going to first, I, I would probably put, I probably would, propose something where money's in an escrow account, a number. I don't know what that number is, but a number's in an escrow account and, and it's growing in the economy and they can't touch that money till five years, till five years out of college, four or five years out of college. Cause by the time you get out of school, whether you make it as a professional athlete or not, you're probably going to get a job. And if you get a job, great. And if you don't, at least you've been trying for those years. And whatever that number is will give you a good jump start to life and help you maybe buy your first home or whatever the case may be. But I think there's a number that's there that'll work. But it shouldn't be available, that money, those funds, to the student-athlete right away. Because – No, I don't think – I don't think – because they don't – as a student-athlete, as a student in general, you really don't need a whole lot. Your stipend should be able to pay your rent. You're on training table meals. You get a couple of free shoes and some clothes and stuff. But the, the, the money that's coming from all this, I think it should be put in the escrow account and managed by an institution that's going to make sure that you're making money on that money. Right. And if, let's just say, you left school and you had some money waiting for you, 
whatever amount that is, that might de-incentivize some people to work, to dig in, to put in the long hours because, hey, I got $50,000. Hey, I've got $100,000. Hey, I've got whatever number it is. And so you want them to make it on their own. And then as you say, have some of that money for when they're ready to buy their first house, when they have established themselves in their respective field, right? This is, again, we're drawing up a, a great scenario. I don't know that it can and will play out that way, but that would seem most logical to me to have it go that way, the way you're describing it. Adam, it's one of those deals where athletes don't have a whole lot, but regular students sometimes do. And regular students can work, they can live, they can do whatever they want to do. Student athletes are in class, they're trying to graduate, they're trying to perform on the field, they've taken away the summer jobs where you can't work in the summer and get paid anymore. So you don't, you can't even have a nest egg if it doesn't work out for you at the next level. So why not put it in an escrow account, allow it to grow. So when that time comes, I'll have a nice nest egg to go to on a rainy day. Makes a lot of sense to me. Love to see it happen. Would love to see it happen. Me too. And I think, and I think it will. I think it will. What is your relationship like these days with your nephew, Michael Thomas, the great wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints? Well, he's a little crazy, but, you know, it's good. It's a good, good relationship. I don't, I don't uh, get involved with him much anymore because he's, he's, his wings are off and he's flying and he's grown now and he knows how to handle himself and do business. I, I just cheer for him and root for him. If he ever need me for anything, I'm always there. Um, you know, I'll I'll go to a – I don't even go to his games. I didn't even go to his games over the last couple of years. I just watched from afar. My, and the rest of my family would go. But I just kind of want to – it's his time. You know, I have my time. It's his time. So, I don't ever want to shed any uh, – take any light away from him. You know, I got so sick and tired over the last couple of years of people, every time he caught a ball, they refer me in – the conversation. It's like, you don't need to continue to align him with me. He's his own guy. And so that's the way I've learned to do things. The less I'm around, the better off it is for him. And what do you mean he's crazy? A little crazy now? No, I mean, like, like he, when I say a little crazy, he just be, he's all over the place with Twitter. And, you know, he just be, he clapped back at everybody. As soon as somebody say something about him, he's, he's, you know, he's like, He'll just attack them real quick. And so I call that crazy. I'm like, man, you don't need to do that. But, again, he's his own guy, and this is his approach and the way he wants to handle things. Uh, I just want to see him hurry up and get to the Super Bowl. Who is better? If you were in the prime of your career, we had your nephew in the prime. Who, who would you rather have on your team today, Keith? Oh, that's hands down. That's not even close. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's not even close. I wouldn't even – he's a good he, he a good player, but he ain't me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, no. I, I, I respect seventeen thousand catches and all that, but no, he got a long tree to climb. <laughs> you know. So as you set out now to embark upon this new ESPN national morning radio career with these early morning wake up calls that I hope you can get up for, Key. I got to tell you, I hope you can get up for them. You know, right away. No, I, I can get. I, I. It's one thing I'm not gonna do. I'm not going to trick off my job. <laughs> well, I, I, as you get I'm ready, not, Hey, look, I'm not the guy up in Seattle sneaking people through the hotel lobby 
during a pandemic and, and when they told you don't do anything, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, for those who don't know, there was a Seahawks rookie that was caught basically trying to smuggle, smuggle in a female visitor to his hotel room, which is unbelievable to me. It's just unbelievable to me that somebody could do that in this day and age. And, and, and well, you're not paying attention. They're not paying attention. They obviously didn't care. I mean, maybe he didn't really want to play football. Well, what I was going to say to you is as you get ready to embark upon this next chapter of what has been a great career, what is your vision for how sports are going to play out during this pandemic and into the future? Well, I think, it, it, you know, there's a lot of things that's being tested, right? You, you got Major League Baseball, DH. They're, they're looking at the DH model. You have basketball that's looking at pushing things to December and possibly uh, playing regular season in the bubble again. Um, you got MLS in the bubble. You got the NFL doing certain things to keep people uh, comfortable, but you learn a lot of things, you, you know, starting with the draft in the NFL a year ago, virtual meetings. This may help uh, the NFL go to virtual meetings in the future. The draft was supposed to be a certain way. Now maybe the draft stays the traditional way, but also you could implement virtual stuff within the draft, you know, so it's all, you, you learn a lot. This is like a, a learning experience across the board. Um, so I think it's a good thing. It, I think at the end of the day, it'll be a good thing. I think college football will not play this year, no matter what the, the other three big five uh, conferences are talking about. I don't think that you can get on the field and play football in college with amateur athletes. NFL is different because they're making money and the guys are being paid. And it's it's a totally different ball game, um, but I think the NFL will start on time and will finish on time. Uh, Super Bowl may be drastically different this year. Uh, the NBA obviously is different, and that's pretty much that's pretty much what we're looking at. So you're saying no college football this year? You're predicting no college football? No, no. Everybody's bowing out. All the conferences are gone. We we we, we just go force our way to just see the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, we're just going to – those kids that's there are going to play for what reason? To help the university? To help the conference? But risk their livelihood and safety based on this? There's so much liability there, Adam, that I can't see the commissioners and the pre- – they can, they can talk all that noise now, but I can't see commissioners and presidents of universities signing off when teams playing, when something could imagine if something catastrophic happened to somebody, yeah. player, coach, anybody that's affiliated with a university athletic program, and you signed off on it, Adam. It would not be good, right? It wouldn't be good. So I, I have no idea why they're trying to force the issue because the Big Ten and the Pac-12 said no. What I don't understand, though, Key, is why didn't they wait a little longer? Why did they have to make the decision when they did? Why couldn't they have waited another week or 10 days before they made that decision, particularly when we have other conferences that are trying to figure out if there is a way that they can play? I, we, you don't think they will. Because, but- because clearly, clearly – okay, so here, here's how I always look at it. Yeah. Professional the, – the, the administrative people out on the West Coast, I would think, are pretty astute. Yep. Administrative people in the Big Ten, Commissioner Warren is pretty astute. I think he's smart enough to know that 
the people that he's talking to and they're talking to the medical people aren't just saying, oh, yeah, you can play. You're going to be okay. They got enough intel and information to not want to test the waters where these other three conferences have gotten information. I'm sure that have told them, well, you can play if you want to, but, and they're still trying to hold out hope. Plus, you got to also understand the region of the country that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with the South. A little bit different mindset in terms of the way that they think. They don't even think there's a, they, they, half the people don't even think it's a real pandemic going on. They walking around with no mask on and just think it's just like a big joke. Yeah, you, know, you know what's amazing? Anytime you post anything about COVID on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it may be, there are a lot of comments about people saying, oh, you know, they, they, they don't believe it. They, they don't think you have to wear a mask. They don't think that this is a real virus. They don't think that this is a real threat. And it's just amazing to me that various people can have the various perspectives. Like, I guess I'm not living in the same universe as a lot of other people. I mean, there are, what, 150 plus thousand people that have died during this pandemic that are related to this? It, you're exactly right. To me, there's there are people here that just don't believe it. And, and they don't want to lose their college football, right? And that's the region, I guess, you're talking about. Yeah, they don't want to lose their college football because they don't, they're, they're buying into something that's being sold to them, and they don't seem to get it. And they think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. Okay, all right. You just keep playing with it. I'm only listening to doctors that matter. I'm only listening to doctors that matter. I'm not listening to no team physicians and no damn head coaches. Well, who are the doctors that matter in your mind? The, the experts at the CDC, yeah. Dr. Fauci, scientists, those people that are looking for vaccines, those are the ones that matter. What a time, right? What a time. Never could have imagined that we would be living through something like this. You got a great quarantine story for me before I let you go, Kate? Anything that has happened to you during the course of the last five or so months while you have basically up and moved back east, while you've changed jobs, while you've watched your alma mater drop their football for the coming season, while you've been through whatever you've been through family-wise, got a great quarantine story for me to leave you with before I let you go today? You know, not re- uh, you know, not really just being stuck in the house. We were stuck in the, well, we were stuck in the home um, for a, a period of time and we, our pool wasn't working and it was hotter than hell in Calabasas and the pool man couldn't come to fix it because the community wouldn't let him through the gate. So we were stuck without a pool for like a month. Those are first class. No, but, ki- but kids were at home, no school. And you can only imagine how they were driving us crazy because they couldn't go outside. None of those things. We was like, dude, seriously? It was just like, it was the wildest thing going. It was it was one of those deals where I felt like, man, I'm getting ready to get these kids away. Oh, I know that feeling. Let me tell you something. Look, everybody's in the same home under the same roof since March. So my son is going back to school this weekend. We're taping this on Friday afternoon. He's going back to school tomorrow morning. My daughter's been home every single day, you know, virtual school. She's 11 years old. And like, literally, like, what do you do? She started her own podcast. She's 11 years old and started a podcast. Every, you know, she was starting it three times a week and dropped me up the wall with it. You know, now we're down to once a week. But 
you feel bad for all the kids that are deprived of their social activities. You feel bad for the parents that have to be uh, the friends and the entertainers and the babysitters and all those things. And you feel bad for the, the parents that have jobs that can't go out because the kids are home. I mean, the, the world's upside down. It, everybody, everybody's jammed. Everybody's struggling. Everybody is learning the new normal and how to deal with it. It's just, what a brutal thing, man. Brutal. Yeah, and I, and I think we'll get through it. We'll get through it as we always do get through things. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, Key. I'm glad the alarm clock sounded today in time for you to join us. I hope there are no issues with your alarm clock uh, starting Monday and beyond as you begin your new radio job with Jay Williams and Zubin Mahete. Good luck with those guys. Good luck to you, Key. I appreciate you taking the time, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you soon, my friend. All right. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Uh, joining us now, the former defensive end for the Miami Hurricanes, a man who left school early and figures to be a rather high pick in the NFL draft. Greg, thank you very much for your time. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Greg, what has this whole process been like for you, opting out of school, leaving, and now preparing for the NFL draft in August of 2020? Uh, I mean, it's been crazy uh, just having like make that decision. It took a lot of courage and stuff, but it's been a blessing, you know? To, you know, to start working on my craft and start getting better. So I'm up for the challenge. I'm really excited. You said that decision took a lot of courage. Why did yeah. you take courage? Because, you know, it was tough to tell my coaches and, and my teammates and stuff because I have so much love. I have so much love for those dudes, and, and they're all great people. So that, that was really hard for me, you know, what, to make that decision and leave. What did you tell them? I was just like, first I, I told my, my, uh, my D linemen and stuff, told the defense, told the team. I told Coach Diaz, and I was just like, Man, I just got to do what's best for me. My mom, uh, she's a nurse, and she was taking care of COVID patients. So for me to be able to just help her, for me to have the opportunity, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't take the opportunity to help her out. So, so yeah, it, it was real tough. But but all of them, they all, like, they understood. They embraced me, you know, and, and they're real cool about it. And I, I really appreciate that. I'm sure there are other people, other college football players, who are deciding what to do in much the way that you've opted to leave school and turn pro early. But what led you to that decision, and how long were you considering it? Um, I was considering it for a few weeks, and I was just thinking about it every day. And at the end of the day, I was just like, yo, I got to help my mom out, you know? Like, and 
of course, with like uncertainty of the season, I was just like, yeah, I got to make the best move for me. So I, I went ahead and did it. But but yeah, I was thinking about it for a while. It was some nights I couldn't even sleep. I was just thinking so hard about it, you know? Well, it's a huge decision, right? I mean, it's a life-defining decision. You're leaving school early. You're saying goodbye to friends and teammates and coaches. And as you noted, that's very hard to do. But at the same time, you are doing what's best for you at this point in time. So what will your football season without playing football be like for you? Uh, for me, it'll be, I'm going to still be working hard every day. I'm going to be at Exos in uh, Pensacola. I'm going to be working on just my uh, explosiveness, adding some weight in my lower body, and just staying strong throughout the entire season and, and not taking any days off. And, and I want – at the end of the season, I want to feel like – I don't want to feel like I didn't do anything. I want to feel like I'm stronger, faster, bigger, the whole nine yards. So I'm going to stay in shape, and I'm going to work harder than ever to prepare for the draft. And how old are you, Greg? 20 years old? Yeah, I'm 20, and I turned 21 in April. So you're 20 years old. You're in Pensacola by yourself. You probably don't know a lot of people there. I would think it's got to take a certain amount of maturity and discipline to make a move like this, to go yeah. to Pensacola, to start training, knowing that there's no games. You may not play a football game. You probably will not play a football game for a full year now. A full year. Yeah, that's the longest – that's the longest – since for me probably when I was like seven like that's that's, that's that is pretty crazy to think about but I'm definitely real mature and I'm really focused that's one of the reasons I went to Pensacola I, I have nothing to do over there but work out you know so I'm just I'm ready to focus lock in and uh, be the best me come April and what do you envision your NFL career to be like can you even contemplate something like that do you think again I've heard people say you're the top pass rusher in the draft I've heard people say well, maybe he's a one-year wonder. You did have more sacks last year in the ACC than anybody else. You had a great year, 15 and a half sacks. What are we going to get from Greg Rousseau at the NFL level? Uh, the same thing. I'm going to keep being me, you know. I'm going to keep working hard. I'm going I'm to trust my coaches, trust my teammates like I always have. And I'm going to go out there and give maximum effort and just be the best me I can be every single day. And I'm going to I really just take it day by day. You know, just every day just, just – uh, just going in and working hard every single day, not really thinking about like the future or the next game. I just I just go day by day, workout by workout. Now you're six foot six, two hundred fifty one pounds. Is that accurate right now? No, nah, I'm like two, like two sixty two right now. So you've put on some weight. Yeah. And in your own mind, is there a certain level you'd like to get to by the time the combine rolls around? Assuming there is a combine by the time the draft rolls around. Whenever that is, we don't know so many of these things. But what know, weight? Right? What weight do you want to be at? What do you see your body when you're 20 years old? You're six foot six. You're 260 plus pounds. What is an ideal level for you in your own mind right now, Greg? Uh, probably to be like 265, but just be have a really low um, body fat percentage and be able to move still, just in case teams want me to work out as a linebacker or or play in a three four system. I feel like I'm very capable of doing that. Or I feel like I'm big enough to go inside, too, because um, last year I was playing at, like, 245, and I was able to play the nose, the three-tech, the four-eye, anything pretty much on D-line. So I feel like me being 265, I'll keep that versatility and still be able to move quick enough to play in the edge or to uh, move inside or even to drop back. Well, you did play safety in high school, correct? Yeah, yeah, I did. Safety and receiver, yeah. <laughs> what was that like <laughs> for a guy your size to be playing safety uh, and wide receiver? It was fun. It was fun. I mean, at safety, they had to throw it over me. They barely ever did. And at wide receiver, I loved, I loved um, catching fade passes and scoring touchdowns. 
<laughs> you must have been some targeted throw. So how do you get the defensive end pass rusher at Miami? Um, just uh, Coach D as they're recruiting, he was like, he was telling me how he was at NC State when Manny Lawson was there and, and people like Mario Williams and stuff like that. And he's seen that they're all, they all had my frame. So he was like, man, you can, this is what you can grow into. So I really considered that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Miami. I'm going to listen to Coach Diaz. And, and it worked out, you know. Coach Diaz has an eye for things like that. So he really – he picked a position for me. And it was really the position that had that I had the um, highest ceiling in, you know. Did he ever have you study tape of Mario Williams and Shaq Lawson? Have you speak with them? Anything, any interaction with those guys at all? Yeah, yeah. I, I watched their film. I didn't talk to them, but I definitely watched their film. And I was like, man, I, I see myself. I see myself doing this, you know. And I played a little bit of DN in my earlier years of high school. But I was I was definitely like focused on playing like receiver or safety at the next level. But he really he really changed my mind. Mario Williams, number one overall pick there, Greg. You know that, right? Yeah, NC State. Yeah, that that's pretty big. How high? Any sense of how high you think you could or will go in the upcoming uh, draft? Yeah, I'm I'm shooting to go top five. Top five. Yes, sir. And why should teams take you in the top five? Because of the skill set I bring to teams, you know, I'm a, I'm a good dude. I'm a team first type of player. Uh, I'm really vers I'm really versatile. I can play in any system. I feel like, and I feel like I'd add a lot of value to any team. Hmm. Now you mentioned your mom is a nurse. Yeah. Where is she a nurse, and what has this pandemic been like for her? I mean, it's been crazy for her. It's been tough. She she tell me like how things are going at work, and she would just be like, "It's it's insane." She works at Florida Medical Center. At, um, it's an open park here in South Florida, Broward County. That's where she that's where she used to work. So, yeah, for me to be able to tell her she doesn't she doesn't have to work no more it was. It was the biggest like blessing ever. Like it was the best thing I've done in my life so far. You know that. So, so yeah. Is that what happened? You said, "Mom, you don't have to go to work anymore as a nurse, and she's not going anymore because you're turning pro." Yes, sir. That's unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. was her reaction when you told her you're done? You don't have to basically go to work and do what you've been doing for as long as she has. I mean, I mean. Part of her did want me to play, but the fact that I, I was able to retire her and just take her out of harm's way, she was elated, for sure. Now, Greg, you sit back and you get to watch everything that happens here as the college football situation unfolds. What do you think yeah. is going to happen this year, if you had to guess? Do you think we'll get any college football, no college football, some college football? What do you think from your perspective? I, I, from my perspective, I think for sure there'll be some. I don't know how far it'll get because – you know, I'm not God or anything, but I, I'm sure I'm I'm pretty sure they're gonna start it because they're pushing for it real hard, you know. And as long as the safety protocols are are there, I mean, it, it could work. You just gotta see. And what will it be like for you if there is football to watch a college football game, especially a Miami game, if it happens? Uh, I'll just be I'll I'll be rooting on my my teammates. I still talk to them every day. They're still my family, you know. And I, I'm I'm a still a cane for life, so I'm gonna be talking to them. I'm gonna be. Hitting, hitting them up, congratulating them when they get wins and stuff, and just and still just being there for them as a friend. Now, there have been some unbelievable players that have been from Miami, pass rushers most notably. Have you been able to reach out to guidance for any of them about either leaving school or entering the NFL or what it will take to succeed in the next level? Yeah. Have you spoken to any of those guys, and what, have been, what has been their message? Yeah, uh, I talked to Jonathan Garvin. He, he was at my school. Uh, last year, now he's in the NFL. I talked to him about things, and I also talked to Calais Campbell a lot. He gives me a lot of tips and just ways he's been successful throughout the years. So I de he's definitely somebody that uh, I'm always 
going to to just get some knowledge from, you know? I was hoping you were going to say Calais Campbell, Greg, because... Yeah, that's my, that's my boy. That's my boy. Yeah, he is what a pro should be on and off the field. He handles yeah, himself dude. the right way. He does, yeah. he does all the right things. Great player, but he's a pro. He's a pro. Yeah. So what has been his message to you? You know, just, just like you said, you know, just work like a pro. Don't work like you're just practicing or anything. Work like you're playing a game every single day. And just be smart and always, you know, whenever you're making decisions, always just calculate them, you know, and just watch who you have, watch who you have in your life, mm-hmm. like the people around you, because a lot of times that can, that can mold you into what, into what you're going to be. And, and another thing he also told me was to just never get big-headed no matter how successful you get. Just keep on working hard and stay true to yourself. That's right, Greg. You never get big. You always are willing to come on to the Adam Schefter podcast. That's what you have to be willing to do. Of course. That's easy, hard, of course. You work well, hard and, you, and you're willing to come on this podcast, and I think everything then will work out for you just fine. Yes, sir. I'm honored to be on this podcast. I'm honored. Well, it's my honor to speak with you. I wish you a lot of luck in Pensacola. I'm sure we'll speak again leading up to the draft. And thank you very much for your time today, and good luck with your decision, Greg. Okay, thank you. God bless, man. I appreciate it. I see you on ESPN all the time. It's crazy that I'm even talking to you. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for calling in, Greg. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Be safe. And so there is the former Miami defensive end, Greg Rousseau, a very personable guy. You never quite know what you'll get from a 20-year-old player, but that guy has got some maturity, personable. We'll be rooting for him as he trains this year and gets ready for the NFL draft. And before we sign off this week, we should also point out that the Washington football team made a historic hire on Monday morning, appointing Jason Wright as the team president. Wright now becomes the first black president of an NFL team. And you can say whatever you want about the Washington football team. But if we go back to the start of the year, the fact of the matter is Washington's owner, Dan Snyder, now has made three diversity-focused hires in Ron Rivera as head coach, He is the only Hispanic head coach in the NFL. Julie Donaldson, vice president of media, hired a woman to run that department. And now he has hired Jason Wright, a former NFL running back, to basically lead the organization's business division, which includes operations and finance and sales and marketing. And when you speak to people around the league, they say that Jason Wright is a man of character, integrity, which is something that that organization desperately could use as it goes forward. You may not like what the Washington football team has done and stood for in the past, but clearly it is making notable, significant changes for its future. And we all hope that it works out for that football team. All right, please join us again next week as we'll be getting ready for the ESPN Fantasy Football Podcast. It'll be round-to-round, clock-to-clock coverage of fantasy football next week on ESPN. And on this podcast next week, we will bring you the very latest football information with tips and sleepers and values for your fantasy football draft back in this space next week. Until then, I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting this podcast together. I want to thank Keyshawn Johnson for taking time out of his busy schedule. Appreciate him not sleeping through our scheduled time. And I want to thank our second guest, Greg Rousseau, the Miami defensive end, who looks like he's got a very bright NFL future. And thank you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. As I said, we'll have a heavy, fancy football focus. 
And until then, be well and stay safe.